everybody. Welcome to Boing Boing Gadgets, our podcast about things we love and use. In each episode of Boing Boing Gadgets, we recommend stuff to each other that we've tried out in our own homes and our own lives. Uh, I'm joined today by my friends, uh, my Boing Boing's co-founder, Mark Frauenfelder, and Boing Boing's publisher, Jason Weisberger. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hey. Hi there. We're all friends, too. We are. We are. And I, I think... Um, you know, I'm sorry to be so materialistic, but gadgets are part of the bond of our friendship. They really are. And, and we end up buying stuff based on <laughs> each other's recommendations. And that's kind of the reason I think, especially out of everyone and on the Boing Boing crew, the three of us seem to have an attraction for shiny things. <laughs> we're, we're like magpies. <laughs> well, Mark, uh, I want to start with... Your pick this week, you selected the Fujitsu ScanSnap SV600. Now, I'm familiar with the fact that there's a whole cult of users around another Fujitsu ScanSnap product uh, that people use to uh, digitize receipts, tax documents, all of the sort of paperwork that we need for one reason or another, uh, and, and people find ways to basically digitize and organize their lives. Uh, this is something a little different. This is a little different. Yes, I have on my desk now the iX500, which is the latest model of the multiple document uh, sheet-fed scanner, which scans both sides of a document. I use it for everything. Everything goes into Evernote. When I get a user manual for a new gadget, I take the staples off, run it through there. It's, uh, it, it, it really, without exaggerating, has changed and improved the quality of my life to have the scanner and just get rid of all the paper and know where everything is just with a simple search. The, uh, the 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 SV six hundred is a very different scanner, but it's made by it's a scan snap. It's an overhead scanner, and it lets you open a book, lay it down, open a magazine, lay it down, and scan very quickly, like three seconds for a two for a large book, like a two page spread, um, and uh, automatically correct for the the you know when you open a book, it, it's got the the fold uh, kind of curve. I'm, I'm not describing it well, but it flattens out the two-page spread automatically so that you have this really nice, high-quality, you know, archival scan of your books. What I use it for is uh, a couple of things. We, uh, the, the website that, that uh, Carla and Kevin Kelly and I do called Wink Books, we do uh, reviews of, of beautiful paper books, and a lot of them have art. So we scan, we use that to scan the interior. And I also use them to scan old comic books that we run on Boing Boing. We do the Real Stuff comic from the 90s that Dennis Eichhorn um, uh, wrote. And so I just lay the comic book down there, and I can go through a single comic book in a couple of minutes. It's pretty amazing. Um, it also has pretty good software. So in certain cases, you have to hold the book down flat or, or it will close by itself just because it's a newer book or it's really thick or something. It will uh, detect where your fingers are and remove your, your, the, uh, your fingers on the edges of the book, which is a pretty useful thing. You know, Mark, th this is amazing. I'm looking at the Amazon link that you shared with us now, and it reminds me very much of uh, remember when I went to Guatemala to cover when they when they discovered those uh, archives of the National Police and all these documents about who was tortured or assassinated. Mm -hmm. Well, when when there was when the project began to uh, to to restore those archives and to save all of the paper which was deteriorating with mold and fungus and rat poop and stuff, actually bat poop. Hmm. Uh, they they had 
the, the digitizing stations inside the archives with all these uh, forensics volunteers had uh, uh, scanners that looked a lot like this. And they were taking these old police logbooks that contained evidence that might help solve, um, you know, these hum- gross human rights violations. And they were just painstakingly page by page by page through millions and millions of pages uh, using scanners like this to preserve paper that is uh, that, that's temporary but holds really important material. So this this looks to me like a uh, a home version of those highly specialized scanners that I saw being used in an interesting place in an interesting way. Yeah, I think so. Um, it would be it, it's great for any kind of uh, grabbing documents as they're starting to to fade or get brittle or something. Um, especially because you don't have to cut them out of the original binding or anything like that. And, you know, it's it's making me think, too, of how uh, some of our families have photo albums, maybe even uh, photo albums of our uh, photo albums that belong to our grandparents that uh, w- when photos were printed on different kinds of paper, uh, this would be a way to preserve the integrity of old objects like that while also uh, preserving the absolute best integrity of the image as it exists right now. Yeah, I think so. Um, the the uh, con about it, I would say, is that uh, the software that it comes with could be a little bit better. It, it I've had I've had some uh, issues with it that I've learned to work around, but it seems a bit kludgy and mm. primitive. Um, I I I I did speak to the Fujitsu folks, and they promised that they're going to have a vastly improved uh, mm. software for it. So um, that that will work with the existing scanner. So that that's my only caveat. But if you have the need to scan a lot of uh, a book or magazine documents or things like uh, brittle newspaper clippings, get it without hesitation. I recommend it. And. Uh yeah, it, it, it seems like the software is always the crappiest part of a scanner or printer. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. The, the software that they bundle with these printers or, and scanners, like it might be the absolute best, coolest uh, device in the world, but the, the, the software that's bundled with it, it's always shit. Why is that? Yeah, it's garbage. I do not know why. But I, if, I think it's like they get all proprietary about it, and they yeah. want the fancy Fujitsu or the Kodak or the, the, the HP or whatever. And if, if if it would just if it were just stripped down to what it actually needs to be, it'd be better. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of bloatware. I, I totally agree. So with with my uh, my uh, IX fifteen hundred, the sheet fed one, I have it set up so that it just scans directly to Evernote, so I don't even have to mm-hmm. like look at the other software that they have to deal with. Um, the other thing is uh, I've tried like doing uh, OCR like on on pages of books and things like that. It doesn't work very well on, mm. on scan stuff. I know other scanners, people have reported good results with like digitizing their old science fiction library or something. But uh, I have not had good luck with that. Hey, Jason, are you a scan well, man? You know... I'm really not. It's been a long time since I've needed mine. It's it's upstairs. Most of the scanning I've done has been slide and film scanning. Um, 
so and the software for that you simply do not want to use what was bundled with the scanner mm. there is just no way on earth that that's what you want to use for it uh, what you do with the slide and film scanners or now i'm largely using you know kind of like attachment plates that go on top of a flatbed scanner is you go onto the forums on the internet where the source of all wisdom lives and you get told 10,000 different ways to scan your slide and you try them all trying to get the thing that's going to be perfect I couldn't even tell you. I can't even remember the number of different packages I've been through and the, the crazy detailed fine settings. Um, but I know that Dean recently uh, put up a post about how he scanned a whole oh, lot of old yeah. negatives for his uh, grandfather's book. Right. And, uh, our our Dean Putney, uh, for those of you listening who don't know, uh, did this amazing project where he uh, discovered a bunch of slides and negatives of his, oh, was it his great-grandfather mm-hmm. who was a World War II soldier? World War I. Oh, sorry, sorry, World War I. That, that's what made it so amazing. And he, he made a book out of this. It was this amazing family history discovery and a really interesting, uh, it, it, it brings the archival process to life in a way that... Uh, it really was very meaningful for him and his family and for other people who are, who are real World War I history nuts. Yeah, definitely. It was yeah. really good. Well, and he recently had a feature up on Boing Boing where he explained the process of how he went about scanning, uh, you know, scanning in all of those uh, negatives and photos to make the book. Cool. So you could find this- that on our website. Yeah. Hey, Jason, I know you have yeah. some picks this week, too. Your first pick is the, the Kindle Voyage. Well, it's actually one pick. It's the Kindle Voyage and the cover for the Kindle. Um, but yeah, as Mark has been going about scanning in old, you know, scanning in books and sharing things online, I have been going about trying to reduce the number of new um, paperback and hardback books that I bring into my home because the clutter is, you know, amazing. Uh, I every few weeks have to go about the house trying to pick up stacks and stacks of books and manage them into somewhere. And for whatever reason, I'm never willing to give up a book, or I'm very rarely willing to give up a book. Years ago, when Kindle came out, when Amazon came out with the first Kindle, their uh, the original e-reader that they released, I bought it immediately and thought that it was going to solve all of my problems with having tons of books around the house. And for years, it really did. Um, Early on, not everything I wanted to read was available on the Kindle, but a lot was. I really liked the reader, but over time it became kind of inconvenient. It didn't have a backlight, so you couldn't read with it at night. Um, I was carrying it around. It was considerably larger than the current models, and so I was carrying that and an iPad and an iPhone and a laptop, or at least you know you could drop out the laptop or the iPad, but I was carrying all these devices around there fairly large. A few months ago, I decided I wanted to try a new Kindle, um, and I'd heard so much good about the Paperwhite that I picked one up. I was so thrilled with the Paperwhite that when they announced the Voyage, which is the new, um, the new top-of-the-line um, single-purpose e-reader device from Amazon, I had to order it immediately. I was actually concerned that I was so happy with the paper white that I might not like the voyage. And as my mother told me that she wanted whichever Kindle I didn't keep, I told her I wasn't sure which one it would be. Um, it took me a, it took me a couple days to decide, but I'm really in love with the new Kindle Voyage. Amazon has listened, I think, very very well to their to their customers and tried to make a lot of changes that people wanted to see to the paper white. It is the first Kindle with a solid glass screen, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to a plasticky tap, tap screen. You're now tapping on a piece of glass, 
how they've matted the glass and what they've done with it really keeps it relatively smudge free. Um, if you're eating French fries, you perhaps will um, need to clean the screen off afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I found that I can certainly get through the other types of snacking that I do um, without <laughs> screwing the screen off. Um, we, should, they, we should do an infographic with <laughs> types of snacks that you can eat while operating uh, an iPhone 6 Plus, iPad, or Kindle. Or, yeah, well, I will say that... Like Flaming um, Hot Cheetos and French fries and onion rings, these are all problematic, but uh, I don't know, nuts? Not so bad. I, well, in comparing the iPhone 6, which is also a fantastically, you know, like it's a very, very shiny screen that doesn't seem to get marred by your finger oil so badly, uh, the Kindle Voyage does better. Mm. And, and they're both impressive devices with that. Amazon also attempted to give readers buttons back. One of the things I loved about that early Kindle was kind of the resounding click every time you change, you went forward or back on a page. Uh, Kindles in between these models have had a touch screen where you simply tap on the screen. Amazon, and I've tried to remember it, it's something called like Page Up or um, Page Press, is touching a screen to advance a page backwards or forwards. Um, but they put these buzzer, these buttons back in, and they're just kind of demarked sides of the glass screen um, where if you hold it down, you get kind of a little buzz from a buzzer inside of the Kindle. It doesn't feel much like clicking a button, hmm. but as I've gotten used to it over a, you know, a couple weeks, now I'm much happier with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, the screen resolution is so nice, and the size, the form factor is just slightly smaller than the Kindle Paperwhite that... If you are considering between the two, and I know there's a lot, there's been a lot of debate online about is it worth a hundred dollars more to get the Voyage with the higher resolution screen? Mm-hmm. Um, the lighting, the backlighting, or the front lighting, however they call it, but the screen that lights itself up on this, whether it's front or backlit, I believe it's front lit with light casting down on top of it, and the higher, just the the higher pixel density of the Voyage is absolutely worth it if you can afford it. Hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful screen. I get no ghosting. Um, I have none of the issues with it that you'd had on the older model Kindles. Uh, it is very easy to read for hours and hours and hours with with this device. Um, form-wise, just being slightly smaller than the Paperwhite, it's not a, and I believe the same weight. It's not a giant difference, but it fits easier into the pocket, uh, my breast pocket on my motorcycle jacket, which is really important to me because I can mm. then travel without needing a backpack. I find myself mostly leaving the house with the iPhone and with the Kindle these days. That's really um, cool. And, and our Jason uh, loves to ride around on his motorcycle. So, Jason, you're, you're now able to uh, bike up and down the California coast and do your reading and not have to carry a, an extra bag for that. Yeah, no, I carry this in my pocket. It's really wonderful. The battery life on all of the Kindle devices is tremendous. Um, I have never run it. I haven't had it long enough to burn it down. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's been two or three weeks and f- just really, really phenomenal. And what I'm so pleased with about the Kindles in general, both the Paperwhite, um, which is now in the uh, in my mother's possession, and this Kindle Voyage is I found my volume of reading has gone up so much. Wow. It makes reading so convenient and easy yeah. and also kind of a pleasure. I was reading on an iPad for a long time, and the glare from the, uh, the backlit iPad screen really gave me bad eye strain and headaches. Mm. Um, and then trying to carry a paper book you know, or hardbound book around with me as I leave the house and go places, mm-hmm. it just gets difficult. I, this becomes like your phone. You just don't forget your phone. I don't have to think about going and getting that specific book. 
Yeah. I just grab the Kindle, and the Kindle has all books on it. Um, and so whatever I want to read, it's with me, and I can have, like right now I have 14 different books open, and I will you know, probably start one or two books today and finish one or two books today. Uh, You're a voracious reader. Mark, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to me that you and Carla and the uh, Wink Books website are highlighting one end of the, the spectrum, the, the beautiful, physical, tactile experience of books that are meant to be read on paper, while uh, Jason is rediscovering in a new way the joy of highly portable information and the way that a, a different kind of book can become part of your experience in a mobile way. Uh, yeah, I think both are, are great. I'm a, a Kindle reader, and uh, I'm tearing through uh, the uh, Patricia Highsmith's Ripley ad right now, the mm. Thomas Ripley novels, and Kindle is great for that. I, I love mm. it. And then, uh, but, but uh, the, the, on the Wink side of things, the more you use a Kindle, the more you come to appreciate really great art books as, as mm. completely different kinds of information-holding artifacts that... Yeah. Uh, uh, you you see books with new eyes, which is kind of a cool like side effect of of reading on on devices. You know, a, a lot of a lot of times journalists uh, try to create this kind of false dichotomy. You know, you always see these headlines like, "Will this e-reader become the death of paper books?" And it's like, I, I think Jason and Mark, your experiences uh, show what bullshit that is. And uh, the, the fact that you, you don't have to choose. It's like saying, do you like chocolate or do you like vanilla? Will chocolate be the death of vanilla? You can mush your chocolate and your <laughs> vanilla together in the same bowl and put rainbow sprinkles on them, and it's all good. So there's types of books that I really, really uh, – that I prefer on the Kindle, and then there's books that I want to have in, a, you know, in hand. Um, I will almost – 100% of the time, I'll tell you, I don't want science fiction. I don't want fiction anywhere but on the Kindle mm. uh, because I want to be able to curl up in a ball. I want to be able to take it with me in places. Whatever I do, I want not to be confined by the size mm -hmm. of it. And I also do not want piles and piles and stacks of more fiction around my house. Mm. But when it comes to working on magic, <laughs> I do not want... Um, I do not want it on the Kindle. I do not want it on the computer. I want a paper book in front of me. And I, 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 should, I should pause and let all our new listeners know that Mark and Jason are really into card magic, uh, table magic, magic in the sense of Houdini. And uh, our, our partner, Pesco, you know, he's a little bit more into the, uh, you know, the Aleister Crowley, the, uh, the satanic church, the occult stuff. And, uh, you know, me, I just like boiling stuff in my cauldron. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, David's more into the magic with the K at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and speaking of which, Jason, uh, every week you're cooking something amazing in your house. I just have to ask you, you, you have uh, a sous vide cooker. You have some, uh, some cool like uh, pressure cookers and uh, different gadgets that you love to cook with. What are you cooking this week? So this week's um, thing, and I've made it twice, I hadn't baked in a while, is Irish brown soda bread. No I way. have been making um, Irish brown soda bread. It seems so great for the fall. Now, I love it all year round. It's wonderful. Um, I have been putting make, – I make it with buttermilk. Mm. Um, I use both um, baking soda and baking powder in the recipe. It's a, my recipe is based off of the Cook's Illustrated recipe, so everyone can find that online, and it is a wonderful, wonderful – 
um, brown soda bread recipe that lasts for days in your kitchen. It doesn't mm. go bad immediately and stale overnight. I have been adding pumpkin seeds, and I have been adding dried cranberries um, to it. Oh, Jason, and this is so And it is insane. really, really wonderful. Then, okay, I feel like this is just a, a, a moment of amazing synchronicity. Ask me what I made this morning. You made pumpkin seeds. Close. Okay. I made a bread. I think I'm going to call it jungle monkey bread. I made it in a in a cast iron skillet in my oven, and it was basically a banana bread. I just improvised this shit. It's a banana bread vegan uh, 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 quick bread recipe that had uh, oat flour, sticky rice flour, and amaranth flour, which creates kind of a maple-y flavor, uh, maple syrup. And then these uh, Persian berries that are very tart, like cranberries. They're they're called uh, bar berries. Uh, I think the Persian word is zirishk. And, uh, and and it had pumpkin seeds, those green pumpkin seeds. And it had a kind of a peanut that's a wild peanut that grows in the Amazon jungle called wait for it a jungle peanut. And then chocolate chips. So it had it had the same like cranberry and pumpkin seed and oat flour uh, vibe of the bread that you were just talking about but a little bit different. I feel like we're tuned into the same carbohydrate uh, psychic wavelength. Yes, but there's no monkey in your monkey bread. That's what you think. <laughs> well, you said it's vegan, so this is going to be an interesting monkey. Well, I have a friend who's, uh, who's eating it right now, and this friend uh, has some monkey-like qualities, so maybe that's where the monkey comes in. All right. That sounds really great, Jenny. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I love cooking for other people. So uh, yeah, I have a I have a new friend that I like baking bread for. It's uh, it's a happy day. Um, and what about you, Mark? What am I cooking? Yeah, what are you, um, are you baking? Man, or do you have any cool I, I, squash? Uh, I am kind of uh, yeah. I've been getting into squash lately, and I think it's just because of the, the season. But uh, that pressure cooker and uh, uh, squash cut up with some salt and uh, butter and a little bit of baking soda to get the how did we decide we were going to call it the the Maillard reaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that browning caramely taste. Um, I've got some waiting for me right after this uh, podcast. Well, uh, inspired by you, I bought a big ass butternut squash, and while I was making that bread this morning, I just uh, put the entire butternut squash in the oven after stabbing it in its abdomen a few times, and uh, baking it in that way. I understand really preserves the sugars in a way that uh, cutting it up and baking it does not. So it, I didn't get that Maillard reaction, mm-hmm. but it uh, it's sweet as all hell. That's well, I'm interested in the using the cast iron griddle as um, as your bake, you know, for baking the bread. Oh, you've got to do that, Jason. So basically it's a, I guess it's like, it's not a, not a skillet, not the flat one, but it, uh, it, it has a, a lip. I guess it's like a two, one and a half or two inch deep skillet. Um, I preheat it in the oven for about 10 or 15 minutes at like 400, put some coconut oil in there. And then uh, by the time it's really hot, when I pour my quick bread dough into the skillet, it talks back. You know, you get that sizzling and popping and you put it in the oven and cook it at like 350 and then down at 325 uh, to, to really make sure that it's cooked throughout and not burnt. And by the way, if you include amaranth in one of those multigrain quick bread recipes, there's the magical quality of amaranth is that it browns beautifully. It, it really makes a kind of a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a caramelly browning enhancer. You don't want to use nothing but amaranth because it's a little too intense, but it does wonderful things. Uh, if you mix it with corn, for instance, you'll get the best 
cornbread of your life. And I love, I love doing stuff in the skillet, really nice, heavy crust. So I'm going to, I want to get off the phone. I want to get off this, uh, this podcast right now and and eat. You guys are making me want to buy things and eat. I am hungry. Great. Let's go have lunch. And to all of you out there in podcast land, uh, thanks a lot for listening to us. If you like this podcast, we are always grateful if you want to give us a nice review on iTunes. And you can check out show notes and links to all of the crap that we were talking about at boingboing.net. Mark and Jason, it's been fun as always. And I hope both of you guys um, yeah, enjoy what you're about to eat and buy. <laughs> Thanks, Shani. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>